Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. Why? How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Wait, let me start earlier. Like many of you, I was stuck. You want me to deprioritize my current reports yeah. until you advise of a status upgrade? Make these your primary action items. I couldn't sleep. No, you can't die from insomnia. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder, what kind of dining set defines me as a person? This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I prayed for a different life. Soap. I make and I sell soap. This is how I met Tyler Durden. Come on, hit me before I lose my nerve. Hit me in the ear! It was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Can I be next? We just gave it a name. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. First rule of Fight Club is... Wow, nice. You do not talk about Fight Club. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. He had a plan. <laughs> to what purpose? In Tyler, we trusted. I gotta take Fight Club up a notch. Each one of you has a homework assignment. You're gonna start a fight with a total stranger. That's not necessary. And you're gonna lose. That hurt. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I'm stopping this. It's already done, so shut up. What kind of sick game are you playing? Oh my God. Damn. In the end, you will thank me. Wow! Wow! If you fight anyone, who would you fight? Shatner. I'd fight William Shatner. All right, congratulations. Thank you. That. Appreciate that. That was the best sync clap <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> Okay. You do not sound enthusiastic. Uh, I'm sorry. It's been a weird week. It's been a long week. And, the, and you know, it's perfect for the film because it's a very kind of like, you know, dry, uh, sardonic and, and edgy, you know, movie with people with, you know, lots of 
uh, criticisms of society and uh, darkness and all that. And uh, I've discovered that since I'm doing this in my living room, I can basically just have the movie on uh, in front of me while we're doing this on mute, obviously. Does that help? Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, (laughs) if I get stuck, I'll just look up and be like, yes, the plaid shirt that they put meatloaf in uh, clearly uh, signifies, you know, (laughs) important things about his character. All right. Uh, Quid pro quo, Michael Dennison. You're trying to keep it topical, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) When when did you first come upon the, the Fight Club movie? Uh, I was, yeah, I would have been 16, 17. I would have been 17. Um, and I think I was pretty, uh, pretty hyped up for it leading into the sort of, uh, I guess it would have been, maybe it was a little bit ahead of its time as far as its marketing, uh, has sort of like a, uh, a certain trollish vibe to it. I remember some of the Mm -hmm. early teasers. Actually, I remember the first teaser I saw was in front of, uh, uh, you know, this is Synergy at its finest for 20th Century Fox. They put it in front of uh, episode one. It was like a little small 30-second thing that really had an emphasis on the soap uh, with really no explanation. Uh, but I, I just liked, you know, I liked Edward Norton in particular at that time and uh, Brad Pitt and David Fincher. So uh, I was uh, highly anticipating it. And, uh, you know, it broke my young heart, I guess, when it was a, a huge disaster and a financial bomb and uh, also not at least initially critically well received when it came out. So it, it definitely seemed like it was one that was aimed at, uh, uh smart ass teenagers at the time. And that's where it was going to stay. But, uh, that's not, it's not how it worked out for fight club. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the, and I, and so, so, um, a few weeks ago I saw motherless Brooklyn, which was the first movie that Edward Norton, you know, had been a lead in, uh, you know, in, in all, I think almost like, like in terms of like a major film that, that made it to theaters near me, uh, you know, it's almost a decade at this point. And, uh, that movie is unfortunately not very good, but oh, it, it led, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. I wanted to like it really badly. So maybe later we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, we'll have a little mini review of that. Okay. All right. Um, but that led me to, you know, pursue the like these interviews and everything that I saw him give on uh, uh, Mark Marin's podcast Whoa. and somewhere he was, else. He was making the rounds, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this bomb uh, of a movie he had released. Yeah. But uh, he 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 talked a bit about uh, Fight Club and how basically him and Brad Pitt, you know, at one point watched it, you know, at a press screening or whatever. Uh, and they both like agreed with each other that, oh, oh yeah, that's the best movie we'll ever make basically, but there's no way anyone's going to, going to like it. <laughs> Which, you know, is a, at least a not pretty healthy, you know? you know, that's, that's a healthy way to approach your art where it's like, you know, I made something I'm, I'm proud of and it's not, uh, not in the sort of modern, uh, sense that you would get on uh, social media where everyone is, uh, highly contentious and defensive over things that they like that, uh, other people uh, do not share, which you see that more with uh, franchise properties. But uh, yeah, I actually, I listened to some of those interviews as well. And um, <laughs> he actually, uh, more so than I guess promoting Motherless Brooklyn, which did not hit, which I don't think really was, it was expected to, to be some sort of 
uh, you know, surprise smash or anything. Uh, I, I felt like Norton just came across as far more likable than his reputation had uh, sort of built him up to be as this uh, really, you know, really aggressive, difficult actor seemed to be the label he got. And he just seemed to, uh, you know, he seemed to have a good head on his shoulders and he just sort of does what he likes. And clearly, as you mentioned, he, you know, if he doesn't like it, then he just chooses not to work in this field uh, as an actor. Yeah, I, 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 that's one of the things I really respect, uh, you know, about him is that, you know, he doesn't just put out the crappy Marvel movie and like he could have had, he could have made, you know, hundreds <laughs> of, of millions of dollars uh, <laughs> yeah. by just, you know, grinning and bearing it and, and putting on the Hulk suit and just do and just reading the lines as is. Uh, but he chose not to. And so I didn't see Fight Club in theaters. I was 14 at the time and I caught up with it like many people did uh, via DVD. And one of the thing, one of the, so you talked about the marketing, you know, being very unique uh, for this movie. One of the really interesting things about its home video release was that this was the first time that you had one of these movies that, you know, was not an instant classic or whatever, uh, have this deluxe presentation on home video with, uh, four commentary tracks and, and, you know, a whole other disc, uh, that, that had a bunch of special features and everything. And that got people talking weirdly enough in, in you know, let, let's say in the early part of 2000 and, uh, people who were like me, who were, you know, buying uh, buying a DVD player and, and experiencing, you know, DVD for the first time, uh, were were eager to have something to, you know, show off their like home theater system and blah blah blah. And and Fight Club was basically kind of kind of like filled that hole for a lot of people. And you have to give Fincher credit on that front because uh, I don't I don't know if the movie I don't I, I don't know if the movie would have been rediscovered if it wasn't for that. Uh, that was when I that was when I definitely noticed people really starting to talk about it and reclaim it as you know this great film. Um, for a while, this this was my number one movie of 1999. Uh, you know, probably until like my mid 20s or so, and then it got you know replaced by a, a mystery title that will not be revealed. Okay. All right. Uh, yet. Uh, I, I don't. I would say. Uh... I don't. I don't know where it ranked because I, I. I'm certain that it would have been one or two for me uh, as a young man, uh, and I. Will, I guess I like you. I will leave the other. The other one that it was uh, in that that sort of particular horse horse race with. Uh, I'll just. I won't reveal it now. But um, I actually, you know, I, I had a little bit of hesitation of like where I guess a lack of desire to revisit this mm-hmm. as an old man because I felt like. So, sometimes doing this podcast, you know, we we have uh, the the films like uh, one that comes to mind is the General Star- Daughter, where I'm like, I'm like, I am all about revisiting that because I don't, <laughs> I have no skin in the game, mm-hmm. like I, I don't have necessarily <laughs> fond memories of it, and I think well that could be fun, and I it, it's almost a blind watch because I'm like I know I saw that as a teenager, but I don't have much in the way of memories of it. Uh, that'll be a lark, and this uh, there is a certain feeling I guess of preciousness. To, for this film with me because I loved it so much as a teenager and it hit at the exact right point. And I, I was, I was the sort of target demo for this. 
but that being said, I, I do feel like there's been, at least in my opinion, maybe an overcorrection to uh, take this one down a notch. Because watching it now, I, I still had a lot of fun with it. Like, I think it it still works even at a distance. Like maybe when I was younger, uh, I might have bought in or thought it was excessively cool, like to, to have this Tyler Durden persona come into your life and just, you know, just throw it all away. Just start from scratch again. Uh, Brody clearly still in his, uh, you know, his rambunctious use there. And <laughs> now I, I, I think I, I, I found it, you know, even more amusing as, uh, an old man, maybe not as cool, or his hip. Uh, but I certainly think that, you know, this was, this was not made by young punks. Like there, there is that, as you said, that sort of dry sensibility to it. And this, uh, sort of droll delivery that is just a weird combination with, to go back to the DVD, the excess, the absolute excess mm-hmm. with which Fincher was given <laughs> the budget to do all these crazy visual effects. I mean, I feel like there's a whole disc that's just on the special effects. And when you really strip down the story, yeah, this could have been just a low budget indie and you still would have gotten the same story and you would have been able to hit the same points. But the fact that he was able to get Fox to pony up for this um, is, I think, even more amazing now, uh, 20 years after it. And I guess they just hit on the the exact right time with the uh, emerging DVD market that they would have a studio just throw money at them for this. And yeah, I guess, thankfully for all involved, it became very profitable because of DVD. My theory, my theory is that um, Fox got uh, kind of Fox and Fincher got kind of burned together with the alien three experience Mm -hmm. and then seven ended up being a big hit. And so this was their way of trying to, you know, retain this, you know, guy who they thought would be a major talent. Uh, and they were right. So, uh, I don't know. I don't have it from me from your recollection. Like was the game a hit at all? Or was that a a misfire? It was, it was a hit. It was a hit, but it it was sort of like, it was similar to like, uh, uh, the uh, one we discussed, uh, Double Jeopardy, uh, it, w- it was kind of seen as, as sort of like a mid-level commercial hit. Mm, okay. So w- what about you as far as, you know, watching it now, uh, two decades later? You know, is it, is it yeah, I mean, it's clearly dropped from your, your number one spot, but, uh, you know, is it, is it something uh, that you feel like is just for, like, a younger person? Or do you think it holds up even as an adult? I still love it, but I do think people probably have to see it before they reach a certain age to have to have like the full, uh, like the full impact of it. Uh, just like, you know, office space and the matrix, uh, we're dealing with a protagonist who is looking around at his, you know, well off materialistic, uh, driven, uh, surroundings and feeling not satisfied and wondering, you know, is this all there is to life? You know, something we've, that's something we, we, talked about uh just recently with american beauty uh and and so that has been you know the recurring theme of 1999 uh for for whatever reason this total re-examination of where our lives fit uh in society this looking up at the clock and saying oh our our lives are ticking away uh you know and and what are we going to do with the you know the rest of our time uh and so the way that things develop, you know, in the third act here, 
Uh, I could see, I could see once someone reaches like middle age or whatever, I could see someone just not really being, uh, being impressed, uh, by, by those ideas. And I also think that it really, it does, that's where it does, you know, become a product of its time. The very, so the very, so the very first image here is this incredibly complex, uh, pull out from uh from you know the inside of this guy's brain and we're being shown you know electrons and neurons and everything and brain processes going on and blah 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 and we're pulling out from his mind and we're pulling out to you know this gigantic uh what what, what ends up becoming a you know the shaft of a, of a revolver uh and staring into this guy's head while the the closing image is is just as striking and just as expensive looking uh but the uh the 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 fact that 911 happens like i think 2 years so 2 years after this uh it basically the it's hard it could i could see it being hard to explain to someone how outlandish this idea of all these symbols of power and status uh being destroyed how outlandish that would have seemed you know, in the in the late '90s, uh, you know, where, whereas a generation of people who have grown up, uh, hopefully, uh, remembering the images of of 9/11, um, maybe they're not. You know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I I don't have much faith in society, Deniston, as you can tell. Uh, but I remember our conversation. On another podcast about once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, where you were basically saying like, "Yep, going forward, this will be the history of the Manson family, that, like for future generations." I, I have talked to younger people, and that and that's that has come to pass. They have no idea who Sharon Tate is. The you know that like 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 you think I'm wrong about this stuff, but then, but then I like I get I have actual like field research, Deniston, and you do not. Uh, so I'm gonna rest my case. On I still that. think that's a, a damning statement on your your part <laughs> that I, I don't want field research uh with these these young people i don't want to hang out with with young people i'm not, I'm not hip like you okay so <laughs> you're not touching fight that. club uh <laughs> the thematics here are so complex and deep and uh and i and it's one i think it's one of those movies where uh i i hope people even even back then even when i was a fan of it uh, in the in the back of my head, I was still kind of saying to myself, "I really hope people are enjoying this for the right reasons." Uh, and and I suspect I suspect that many people were not. Uh, and I know you and I. So you and I, you remember our conversation about Wolf of Wall Street, where we were talking about mm. all the people, and and dear God, that movie is now six years old. Uh, but we were talking about all the people who. We're just like, yeah, Jordan Belfort, what a fucking badass doing all that yeah. crazy mm-hmm. shit. And just like root it, you know, and it's like, well, oh, did you miss the last, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes where he loses his family and everything that's important in life? Uh, and, and it's just, it's similar here. It's like, do you miss the part where, you know, where Tyler Durden is actually, you know, a really bad uh, thing for uh, for Jack, our protagonist here? Uh, and the fact that, you know, within a few years after the movie comes out, there were were already stories of people developing, you know, actual fight clubs and everything. Kind of tells me that that the message was was maybe lost on a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think that's that's safe to uh, to say. And I I think you even see like a 
like Joker, Todd Phillips Joker that came out uh, a couple months ago as of this recording, uh, that almost seems uh, that they're going to play with the uh, the a way to misrepresent their hero to who they know their core audience to be. Like, I, I don't actually think that Fincher and Pitt, Norton and company, uh, I don't think that it was in any way their intention to build up Tyler Durden as this this cool character. I mean, there's even even their visual attempts to 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 make him, uh, you know, when when the turn happens, when the, the sort of twist is revealed. Uh, I, I love the way that Norton plays it. Like, I mean, he is. <laughs> there's a montage, just a travel sequence where he just is dealing with morons everywhere he turns <laughs> and he calls them out on it. Uh-huh. And so it's like, they, they are, you know, cluing you in to the fact that it's like, okay, this is, this is not only is it gotten out of control, but there is a certain punishment that our, our main character, the, the narrator here, Jack, uh, whatever you want to call him, that he needs to go through for taking his eye off the ball to a certain extent to for allowing himself to to think that he's that he is special enough that he is a, a, a special enough snowflake even though that's one of the the rants that that no one is unique in any way that he can just throw it all away and have this devil may care attitude and nothing can really touch him and uh, I I think at this point we probably you know I don't think we should have to say spoilers for Fight Club but. Uh, if there is, you know, some of these young people that have not yet caught up with it, uh, I will now say, okay, I'm going to reveal the twist of this film if you've not seen it. And thank you for the download, listen, what have you. But when it's revealed that Tyler Durden is, is just, you know, a stronger, more alpha part of his personality or what he wishes he could be. (laughs) The fact that Norton has been able to have this disconnect with the things that he wishes and wants to achieve and yet it's still not even confident enough to and, and it's more about responsibility i guess than confidence like he he wants to disassociate himself from any responsibility from the bad elements that happen so that's why i think the film it is powerful that way because it is sort of it's talking about ironically the very thing that the audience of fight club didn't get <laughs> is if you want to to cultivate uh, a group around you that are just a bunch of lemmings space monkeys here uh, that is pretty easy to do, but our our character played by Edward Norton is not he he's like too smart to want to surround himself with those people or take the responsibility. So he creates this pretty boy uh, who can who can deal with all of them, so he can stand outside and still kind of judge what's going on. Uh, that's the thing I've always liked about it. But with something like Joker, I, I don't know if you've seen Joker, but I have not. we're just we're just grafting all of that sort of that anarchy and mayhem onto this, you know, goofy pop icon of a, a villain, a cartoon villain from the thirties or forties and trying to, to graft on, you know, this, this ability to tackle mental health issues. And so, I, I mean, I think that that's, I don't think it's like dangerous, but I don't think it's nearly as smart. And something like Joker is clearly like Todd Phillips and company, they themselves like Jack, the narrator here are not confident enough that they can just make a film about a failed comedian who is struggling with his, his own mental health and his own failings. So they're like, Oh, let's, let's make him the Joker. And then we don't have to do any of the heavy lifting. I think Fincher and, and crew do a lot of that, but 
you know, if you if you have like an audience of young men, uh, you're probably going to not get the most nuanced interpretations of it. And but what was strange is that even the adults in the room, uh, like you know, Ebert did not like it at all. I remember Entertainment Weekly giving it an F. Like even even the adults in the audience seemed to approach it uh, like there was no substance here. That uh, well, I mean, the first line of Ebert's review saying it's the most uh, cheerfully fascist big star movie since Death Wish. <laughs> He's not wrong. I mean, you know, it's like, there is. A but certain... is that a bad thing? <laughs> I think the movie. I think the movie explores a lot of different philosophies and a lot of different uh, ways that people try to control others with with the you know with these big ideas. And there's definitely an element of of fascism. To, uh, to, you know, to this cult that Tyler Durden starts, you know, they all get shaved heads. They all get told that they are not special, uh, that they, you know, the, you know, the, okay. I mean, oh God, I'm trying to avoid talking about current, but I mean, you know, the, the, the 21st century, you know, equivalent from today would probably be, you know, the Donald Trump, you know, uh, phenomenon and, uh, you know, how all these people, uh, they call themselves peds. They call themselves part of, a centip- they see themselves as part of a centipede, as part of a big, gigantic, moving thing where everyone has to do their part in order to, uh, to you know, to to uh, accomplish, you know, whatever. And, is and that I really what they call themselves? It is. Yeah, that's true. So, I think space uh, monkeys is better than yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got the space monkeys, and you know, yeah, and they all they all dress alike, they all look alike, they all have to be shaved, they all have no names, uh, you know, and. <laughs> And it's only by happenstance that uh, you know that that Meatloaf's character gets a name in death because because uh, Jack you know call you know calls out this you know this horrible you know this horrible crime that has been you know the, the, this loss of of his friend. Um, <laughs> the, that's my favorite section of the movie because up until that point, you know, the movie has been really it it flirts with these very dangerous ideas and everything in order to entice you in. Uh, and then you get, you know, the, 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 the over the top kind of campy ramifications of, 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 of this extremist behavior. And, uh, and yeah, you hit, you hit the nail on the head, like him going around and having to talk to all these, you know, quote unquote morons. I love the scene uh, at the bar where, where he, you know, where he first, you know, starts to realize that, that, you know, who Tyler Durden is. Uh, and he's talking to this guy wearing a neck brace and it's just not even uh, talked about why, how the guy got the, the neck brace. And he's uh, constantly uh, coming back to, are we sure this is not a test, sir? <laughs> and uh, at a certain point, at a certain point, you, you have to accept the film as fantasy, you know, and, and obviously there are things that happen you know, in the last 30 minutes that, that, you know, are clearly not meant to be, uh, taken, uh, literally, uh, such as the, the, you know, the, the gun to the back of the head that, you know, he just needs some gauze to, you know, to get over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And what do you think the responsibility is to, to artists for, you know, if they're wanting to tackle in this case, a subject matter that's going to not only appeal, but probably be more relevant to people who are engaging with or trying to, you know, find their own personal philosophy. Cause I, I mean, that is something like in you know, your high school, college years, 
you're going your your sort of antenna is going to be up more to engage with this type of thing as opposed to an adult who's like, well, that's that's obviously bullshit. You know, they're, and they're looking at it like through the the eyes of experience, and they can't really been can't really be roped in to to this 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 plot where you're kind of you are uh, sort of charmed by Tyler Durden as opposed to something like uh, you know the the scenes that we're talking about where uh, Meatloaf's and Death uh, uh, the you know a space monkey uh, can can get a name he can earn that that's the only time he can earn that was in Death and they're just changing the rules on the fly. Uh, you have something like the master. You have a really great scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman and I believe it's Laura Dern. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Where, um, you know, she's challenging him mm-hmm. on like, well, this, you know, this latest edition, uh, you know, that contradicts something you wrote earlier. You know what? She's trying to understand, you know what? This is like actually a fundamental change in like our belief system here. And he just, you know, he, <laughs> he throws his own you know version. he, goes back to his youth and throws like a little temper tantrum there. Like, and it's basically, but just becomes this because I said so type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously something like the master, I'm sure there are young cinephiles or people who are in the film that are going to discover it, but that target audience, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to find the, the, the stand-ins for like a walking Phoenix who are going to like put down their eight bucks for the master, uh, like something like fight club, which is, you know, it is going to be appealing to people because of the violence, because it's, Got this sort of like cool sort of pop art sensibility to it, uh, to the very people who are going to be like heavily involved with the same discussions that our, our young characters here, these young men in these in this fictional world. I had it all. I had a stereo that was very decent, a wardrobe that was getting very respectable. I was close to being complete. Shit, man! Now it's all gone. All gone. Do you know what a duvet is? Comforter. It's a blanket. Just a blanket. Now, why do guys like you and I know what a duvet is? Is this essential to our survival in the hunter-gatherer sense of the word? No. What are we then? We're, uh, you know, consumers. Right. We are consumers. We are byproducts of a lifestyle obsession. Murder, crime, poverty, these things don't concern me. What concerns me are celebrity magazines, television with... 500 channels, some guy's name on my underwear. Rogaine, Viagra, Olestra. Martha Stewart. Fuck Martha Stewart. Martha's polishing the brass on the Titanic. It's all going down, man. So fuck off with your sofa units and string green stripe patterns. I say never be complete. I say stop being perfect. I say let's evolve. Let the chips fall where they may. And the whole thing, the whole thing is a reflection of what society was, you know, at least in America in the late 90s. You know, everything was about perfection. Everything was about building, you know, the perfect house, the perfect family, the perfect whatever, and having it and not having any scars on your body, not, uh, you know, getting every molar filled and blah, blah, blah. And I think we're a little bit more uh, let the chips fall where they may uh, today. Uh, I, th- I mean, to to a certain degree, people are. I think people are far more materialistic uh, today. But I think they're maybe uh, for many the the idea, you know, the hope of having like the perfect whatever is so far, uh, you know, out <laughs> that it's not even worth, you know, uh, trying to achieve. And, and so, 
Are you and saying so, that's where the, the body positivity, you know, trends have come yeah, from? That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's a good connection. I didn't, I didn't really, like, I, I'm not really thinking about that as, as I'm saying this, but I mean, that's a good connection, uh, there, uh, it's, you know, uh, the, there, there is a certain period piece quality to the whole thing, which is probably why it fell, you know, one or two notches, um, you know, on my list of, of best films of 1999. Uh, and so once you, you know, yeah, if you, I think if this movie came out today, definitely the ideas in it and everything would be, uh, so different than, than the way they are here and, and probably not as effective. And so the, yeah, you can't, you can't take this movie, you can't divorce it from the, the era that it was, you know, meant to represent. Do you think people are still discovering it though, just because of the the star power and because you know it's not like Fincher has gone away in any sense. So if you're into like, or even like you know, I always use my like youngest brother as an example, not someone who's necessarily into movies, like just enjoys consuming them, just whatever whatever he's on. Just like if he has two hours free, he's just gonna click around on a service and find something that he's like, oh, that looks cool or that looks good. Uh, but Fight Club would still be one that because I know he's seen it. Uh, that would stick out like just... well that's that's an interesting point to bring up because uh earlier you mentioned seeing a trailer for this in front of star wars episode one mm-hmm. uh the two things that you know star wars and <laughs> and this movie you know now have in common is that they are both entirely owned by the Walt Disney Corporation <laughs> at this point uh and you're you're I'm not like I'm not bringing it up as a joke uh like I do think there's a legitimate concern about a movie like this that that was so hard for them to get made in you know in in 1999 because it's so it's so anti-capitalist it's so it has so many dangerous ideas and everything uh and and to think you know when you when you see what you know walt disney has done to to the products uh you know the disney company has done to uh, the products that they have acquisition and everything, you know, it's pretty scary. I can't see the Walt Disney logo, um, on the 40th anniversary, you know, uh, re-release of this movie. Uh, I can't see that happening. And so there's a, there's a legitimate question about what the legacy, uh, of this movie will be. If, if the, you know, if, if let's say, you know, censorship really takes hold in, in a big way, uh, for you know, in the movie industry, this this would be this this movie has a target on its back in that regard. So you think it's still as dangerous in content as you know what it was sort of seen upon this release? I mean, if, it's, if, it was, if it was owned by Warner Brothers, probably not. But I mean, yeah, I think Walt Disney, uh, you know, that's it's a weird marriage uh, there. <laughs> so you don't see like a uh, you know it being branded with some sort of. Uh, uh, anniversary edition. They'll they'll just put the Hulu. <laughs> so we'll <laughs> so we'll it. talk more about that when we get to Toy Story two, because mm. I have a you know we have some uh, you know major relevations rele- 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 for you on that one. Okay. <laughs> uh, huh. All right. I I don't I don't really know how to wrap up with my my thoughts of uh, Fight Club here, uh, other than I guess I shouldn't say this as much as I adored it when I was younger, but I. And given the talent involved, just that I was still surprised. I was like, it's it's still great. I still like this quite a bit. Like where where I, do you rank it in David Fincher's movies? For me, Zodiac is uh, so so far like ahead. Uh, just as far as I guess what my uh, 
sort of my personal taste is, which is, is strange because I, I think even on this podcast with you, I've talked about my hatred of like sort of true crime stories. <laughs> um, but that one, uh, I would say that and social network uh, are probably the, the, the top. Uh, and maybe Flight Club would be uh, underneath them. Uh, I, I like Seven quite a bit, but I um, that one feels... That one feels more like the uh, it feels more popcorn than um, you know the, these other three. Something like Gone Girls, well, which I think is like a, a great sort of popcorn thriller. Uh, I really like. I, I don't know if he's made anything that I've disliked. I guess you would have to go back to uh, Alien Three and really argue about you know if you're actually seeing his his version or not. Uh, I've not watched uh, that there, film since I was a teenager, so I, I can't really comment on it. There is, I've watched that movie many, far too many times um, at this point in my life. Uh, so there is no his version. Uh, he, he basically, so he disowned that movie. Uh, but there is a special edition cut, which I think is really good. And I've warmed up to a lot over, over the, like the last several years. And, and I think if you went back and watched that version uh, of the movie, uh, you, you would probably like it quite a bit. It, you, Clearly... He's not keeping in the tradition of uh, the originator of this this property with Ridley Scott. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. he should have multiple versions <laughs> that he goes back to. Uh, I might actually put the game above Fight Club as well. I, that, I find oh, that I really? revisit that mm. one more than I'm Fight Club. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think many people would would do that. Not that I'm saying you're wrong. <laughs> I <laughs> well, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> And I, yeah, I like the game. I, I, yeah. So like you, I don't think there's a single film he's made that w- wasn't something I would like, or that isn't something I, I, I liked. Uh, I, I think if he, if he follows through on those plans to do a world war Z sequel, that'll probably be the first one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I get, well, okay. I will say that, that being said, I'm not a fan of the of the Netflix series Mindhunter. Uh, I tr- I watched mm. the pilot which he directed, and I didn't didn't care for it. Uh, and and so that was very su- surprising to me, considering you know I really liked uh, really like I, I think Seven is a great film. Seven is is definitely near the top uh, for me in 1995. And and you'd be right when it comes to Seven as far as it being you 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 want to call it like a true crime popcorn thriller you would be right if it wasn't for the scene where somerset and and pitt uh are at the bar and they have almost like i think it's like a seven minute scene of them just discussing the moral implications of of what's happening and and i think that makes that movie too unique for in that genre Mm. to for it just to be passed off uh even more so than the than the other really long sequence where you have uh John Doe, uh, by the, played by the aforementioned uh, deplorable uh, human being uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, <laughs> even 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 his long tirade in the in the car, you know, it just, like like the, the the scene that really makes that movie is, and that's the thing that's great about Fincher, is that for all the technical wizardry and and everything that he does in his movies, he really can make he can really make two people talking. Uh, feels so interesting. And I bet you can't guess my favorite scene in this movie. Uh, I bet you can't guess what it and is. And Fight Club. Yep. I have two guesses here. Okay. Uh, a, a more, uh, here's a more obvious one I think would stick out to people, uh, which is is Norton having his very American Beauty office space 
experience with his boss or where he, he quits and, and just has it out with his boss before, before the actual, I guess, you know, self punishment, the, that he beats himself up, just his, his interactions with him. Am I so close there? That's not it. Not uh, it. it's a great scene. It's a great scene. But the one I'm thinking of has just had, on. the one I'm thinking of has almost two. no visual uh, mastery in it at all. So go ahead. Oh no, that doesn't count then. My because <laughs> mine, uh, and I was hoping it would be yours. Uh, I my favorite scene, uh, I guess this time around that I just enjoyed uh, was uh, Helena Bonham Carter and Ed Norton uh, negotiating the terms of their. Uh, their shared custody of these, <laughs> these groups, these people dying of various <laughs> illnesses <laughs> that, and then, and her just going through about her business as this sort of like low level, uh, you know, con woman, uh, going through like, a um, a laundromat and then sit pawning off the clothes and Norton only in like the last instance catching on. But I, I enjoy that sort of back and forth, that sort of meet cute, uh, romantic element between the two of them. So you're close with that. You're very close with that guest because my favorite scene is the scene in the third act where where he finds Marla again and and, and he you know tries to reveal what's really going on uh, before putting her on a bus to, to get out of town. No, listen, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. You have every right to be. I'll just have a coffee, thanks. Sir, anything you order is free of charge, sir. Why is it free of charge? Whatever. Uh, I'll have the clam chowder, the fried chicken with the baked potato with everything, and a chocolate chiffon pie. Clean food, please. In that case, sir, may I advise against the lady eating the clam chowder? No clam chowder, thank you. Well, I know that I've been acting very, very strange. Okay, I, I know that it's got to seem like there's two sides to me when you're with two me. Two sides? You're Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Jackass. I've involved you in something terrible that's about no. to happen. You are not... Shut up! Not safe. Shut up! Listen, I tried, Tyler. I really tried. I know you did. There are things about you I like. You're smart, you're funny, you're spectacular in bed. But you're intolerable. You have very serious emotional problems, deep-seated problems for which you should seek professional help. I know, and I, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're sorry, I'm sorry, everyone's sorry, but I can't do this anymore. I can't, and I won't. You can't leave, Mark. Like, you're not sick. That's where the movie really, like, like if you took that scene out, I, I almost feel like I couldn't, uh, or if you made it different, I almost feel like I might not like the movie uh, as a whole. It's so funny the way he is carrying all these uh, binders with all this information about, you know, uh, about where these bombs are going to go off. And, he, and he's got, <laughs> he's just got them in his hands, emerging from the taxi cab, screaming, Marla, Marla. And then they have to go into the, into the diner and, uh, and she's going to order a chiffon pie, but he has to tell the waiter clean food, please. And, and he says, Oh, well, <laughs> may I recommend that the lady not, uh, order the lobster bisque. <laughs> and so I love that scene. And I love it because it's like you just see these interactions between these two people. Uh, the movie has spent so much time getting you invested in them and, and you know, doing all that legwork and everything really pays off. And you just have, you, you know, that, that scene really makes these two. And, and you know, if you don't have that scene, uh, then, the, then this ending image it would not have the same sweetness to it. You would, it would almost feel way too, too dark at that point. Uh, and so, yeah, that that that's what what I've what I've always been impressed with, with David Fincher about is that he gets so much attention for 
the technical precision and everything and people uh, don't give him enough credit for, for how good he is with, with just actors and characters. And, and, and to the contrary, like we mentioned on a previous episode, he's actually been, you know, kind of, he's gotten that Edward Norton stigma uh, label of, Oh, this guy asked for too many takes, you know, like mm-hmm. how dare he? Uh, and, and, you know, it is, yeah, it's funny that, you know, both, so both, Edward Norton and Fincher have have that strange stigma of oh these people they expect uh, too much good work uh, from the from the people they're involved with and, <laughs> that we consume and yeah. and for the most part we, we speak you know with reverence of his of his work mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I've noticed that uh, lately people are doing the like uh, the, the previous decade and and film and it's I, I guess it shouldn't be because I, I I love it but. Uh, I, I have to admit that I'm a little bit surprised the reverence with which people are now speaking of like the social network uh, as as possibly the best of the decade because I I feel like uh, that one there have been sort of lulls and it's it's reputation as you know the, the I guess that, that that year was sort of the best picture front runner until it got knocked off the race and uh, and also one that uh, like Fight Club I remember some people talking about like well maybe this is just for young people and this won't this won't actually age well, like a movie about Facebook, which, you know, how wrong, <laughs> how wrong uh, we've been. And, and I guess in a depressing way that Facebook is very much even more so a part of our lives today in ways we don't want. I guess I got to start reading, you know, the articles you read because, uh, you know, social network would definitely be my, my number one pick for, you know, the best movies, best movies of the last decade. Uh, and, and you brought up another one, you know, the master would, would be on there as well. And, you know, I, I've actually noticed the, the opposite. I feel like people have not been, been giving it enough credit, uh, for, for whatever reason. I think, I think the only thing I can think of is that I think maybe it holds up too much of a, a, of an accurate mirror, uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, to what our society has become. And, you know, when people do these things, they usually look for something that is speaking to life, you know, in that decade, and so that's probably why social network would, you know, show up on a lot of those lists and everything. It's also just really good. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm 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 confused. So are you saying you don't think social network should be getting that that kind of reputation or No, it's just if you I guess if you're involved or you just uh you know, mainly for me it's it's doing these movie podcasts for for now uh five almost I guess five and a half years. Uh, I, I, I see the, uh, the peaks and valleys, uh, as far as like how people, uh, without, I guess, you know, checking with the, <laughs> the public at large or the, the, the you know, many other people just with their own little circles, uh, just casually toss off, uh, like, yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. But th- these are the films you should, you should see from, from this particular year, uh, the, the whole overrated, underrated thing, which, uh, you know, you never really know. Like unless you're unless you're talking about the top critics on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which even that, I, I, you know, I have certain issues with them trying to really uh, democratize Rotten Tomatoes to to appease uh, the, the the Twitter rage because I actually do like going back to see like what the you know the newspapers or the the print journalists the print media thought about these things um, and whenever we do these podcasts you know it gets uh, muddy I guess. Uh, when when people are jumping in with their viewpoints from 2019 and sort of uh, putting them on that 
that sort of shelf is like, no, no, this is how I've always seen it. This is how the, the conversation has always gone. But th- there's another one like Boyhood. I see just mm-hmm. uh, very much so put upon as like, oh, yeah, that is, uh, you know, that is definitely that was the best film of uh, 2014. And I remember because that was the year I started doing podcasting. I remember a lot of people talking about it like, eh, it's kind of a one trick pony and it's really is that kid really that good he's not that great of an actor and there's really well i think i think we all know the answer to to that question at this point (laughs) (laughs) i actually think that probably puts the boyhood up uh you you should speak of it even more highly richard linklater that he hid that kid for 12 years or whatever uh and then something like the circle revealed it in like two seconds um, but now, now it's like, oh, everyone's always talked about Boyhood. Is that that was obviously the the movie that year? Um, I think people are just like, I think they want, especially when they're reflecting back, kind of like we're doing with this entire project. They want to be able to to speak with, you know, a big exclamation point or period on the end of the sentence. Like, yes, this is it is now set in stone. This was the the best, and it's always been that way. And I, I'm more interested in seeing how stuff sort of falls out of favor, and then. Uh, is sort of reappraised uh, years later. And for whatever reason, uh, people just graph onto things. But I think you make a very good point about social network where it's, it's you know, a decade later, it's, uh, you know, it's still very much a part of our, our lives. And at the time it was, I remember before it came out, people were like, why is Fincher making the Facebook movie? That is so dumb. That will have a, like, you know, uh, that, that will age like milk, that. And it's just not at all. And, you know, if you, a year from now, I'll be saying the same thing about this, Great World War Z sequel that 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 he I think he's making. Uh, it'll, it'll redefine. Is that actually happening? Or is, I don't is, know. I I don't. I feel like maybe that's well. But you know what's interesting is you would think there would be a Fincher movie every you know three or four years or whatever. But uh, is Gone Girl the la- was Gone Girl the last one? I think it was. Correct. Um, you may be correct on that. Yeah, that's 2014. The, uh, that's uh, five years ago, and you know that's really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, uh, because you know it's uh, you had Social Network and Girl with Dragon Tattoo is like a one-two punch in 2010, 11. Well, even uh, Zodiac and Benjamin Button. I didn't realize they were back-to-back years as well. Um, but uh, he did have Panic Room. It was five years in between. Panic that Room is probably my least favorite of his. And it's not a bad movie at all, but it's not one I feel the urge to revisit a, a lot, you know. I would agree with you there. I just I just adore Dwight Yoakam in it. And really any <laughs> any any performance he gives on screen where he's a, a horrific asshole. I, I just love Dwight Yoakam as the heavy. I don't dislike it at all. I just think maybe the script isn't isn't as good as the execution. Like it's like it's like a it's like A plus execution for for a script for a pretty mm-hmm. mediocre script. Uh, very funny in that regard. And it, can, it kind of, it's a good, it would be, that would be a good test for people to read the panic room script and then actually see the movie and kind of, it would, that would be a way to, to better understand and appreciate, uh, what, you know, a director and a good cast, uh, brings to a movie. I'm sure Fincher would appreciate this sort of strange backhanded compliment you're giving him where it's like he, he proves he's a true master by making like a movie out of subpar material, like a story that I really well, didn't want to see on screen. Isn't that not what Gone Girl is as well? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that book is, is very good in its genre and everything, but I don't think people, uh, you know, were saying that it transcends its genre, uh, you know, when it came out or they're just saying, Oh, it's a, this is a really good, you know, uh, thriller. 
And, uh, you know, and I, I, I actually really, really liked that film. And I think he, he did manage to, to really say something uh, about marriage uh, and about like what it means to be uh, to, committed to someone, you know, for that long and everything. Uh, where, whereas I don't think the book was really uh, all that interested in, the, in those ideas. That, that is something with us if you just look at his filmography. And I guess Zodiac, uh, maybe that's, you know, that, that's me shining that one up a little bit as well. Because uh, I think that one is probably the most uh, one for me type story. The, the way he chose to tell it, you know, the, there is a, uh, a Gone Girl 7 like sort of like pulp thriller vibe that you could put on that. And he just chose to go the opposite direction <laughs> i remember watching it with a group of friends and they were groaning as it <laughs> went on <laughs> yeah like you know and they're like isn't this a serial killer movie like isn't this supposed to be like uh you know tense or entertaining and you know that you would get jolts of it but like they they really felt like they were being punished uh, by a guy and i think i that i think that's probably the only one that that feels that way because i think every like maybe you can make an argument for the curious case of benjamin button because I, I think that one's a little more divisive in film circles as far as i would i would imagine that one is probably lower on the list of uh of uh fincher's filmography if you were taking a poll yeah and i think that's unfortunate i think what i think happened is that you know i remember everyone really looking forward and really liking that film you know, for the first few weeks of release. But then they had the, um, there was the YouTube video uh, where they spliced uh, scenes from Curious Case of Benjamin Button with uh, scenes from Forrest Gump. And I think everyone, to, <laughs> see, to me, that just made me enjoy the film more because I don't like, I don't like see it as, oh, you know, uh, can't believe they use the same lines twice or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think for, for a lot of people, they really don't like, feeling like they're getting something that's recycled uh, or, or that they've seen before and they feel almost insulted by it. Uh, to, to me, it's like I look at it like, oh, I didn't even notice, notice that when I was watching uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I was paying attention to all this and all that. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I think I, I, that would be where I would uh, – uh, that's, that's why I think people don't hold that film as in high of uh, a regard as, as they probably should. Um, I'll but... make sure to put a, a link to that YouTube video that I'd never heard of in the, the podcast description. I didn't even know there was a Forrest Gump, uh, Benjamin Button mashup, but I will make sure to check that out and force it on our listeners as well. All right. So Fight Club, we, we have done and we have both lo- loved it. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Yeah, that's a, we're really we have hot takes on this show. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, then the, the you know, while we've been doing this fight, I've been watching Fight Club on mute here, and it's almost halfway over. Uh, so, <laughs> are, are you saying you, you you feel even more confident with it with watching the, the silent version that we are we are in the, uh, the the right? I guess the majority that still loves Fight Club. Oh, for sure, I would think so. I mean, there might be. I would say that the people who may dislike it today would be people who see movies about masculinity as sort sort of an affront as sort of like a, an insult or whatever, as something that, you know, shouldn't really exist. And, you know, I do, I just don't think, I don't think you can really appreciate, you know, movies as an art form. If, if you're telling your, it's sort of like this, this is the same people who would, who would hate boys don't cry today. Uh, you know, because it, they've, they've decided that, uh, movies about this kind of subject matter can only exist in a certain way and they cannot 
you know, exist in this way. They cannot flirt with dangerous, uh, you, you know, ideas the way Fight Club does. And, you know, that, I, I would imagine most people would still uh, still really, uh, f- you know, find a lot to like about Fight Club. I'd, I'd hope so. Um, I think it'll age well on Hulu. I'm confident, Ben, where you are not. It's, I mean, but will it be on Hulu? I mean, that's the question. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> will it be on Hulu in the same form? Will they go back and take out the subliminal penis at the end? And the, and the mm. scene where, uh, where Tyler Durden splices a subliminal penis into what looks like a Disney uh, family movie, uh, you know. Ben? Uh, let me tell you, the uh, you know the the defenders, the coalition uh, is forming uh, to make sure that never happens. Because as we speak today on Twitter, uh, people are angry and getting ready, getting their pitchforks ready to take on Disney for doing mass deletions of Baby Yoda from their Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian. So I, I think those people <laughs> are going to take so- the Fight Club's cause. I'm kind of sad because I didn't understand most of the words that you were saying. Uh, so I don't know what Baby Yoda is. I don't know what Mandalorian is. I, I'm picturing like a really small version of, you know, Frank Oz's uh, puppet from Empire Strikes Back. Uh, is that Baby Yoda? Uh, I mean, I, this I, is I not- don't think I think we've moved beyond puppets. I, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, you know, it's more like the episode two Yoda. This is uh, a totally uh uh, CGI creation we have here. Well, Baby Yoda uh, preservation isn't going to cut it for me, Deniston. <laughs> I, I want society to be a little bit more thoughtful than that. Uh, Look, that, that, that was the that was the only bullet I had in the chamber. That's okay. it. That's <laughs> what are we What are we doing next on this? One? Uh, t- what are we doing? So long, I've forgotten. I knew when we started uh, this. But. Yeah. All right. All right. So. You know, not a curve, but a, you know, blank edge would be. Uh, okay, that that is, at the very least, you gave us, a, a, I guess, a politically correct version of that pun you're playing there. This. Oh, uh, yeah, would I be... would not. Yeah, okay, this would be a very inappropriate uh, title, <laughs> uh, alternate title for, for Boys Don't Cry. Uh, how's that for go. politically correct? <laughs> I knew if, I knew if I fed you the ball, you you'd put that one in the basket. Yeah, this is uh, the straight story uh, from David Lynch, and uh, I have never seen this before this project. I watched this just for ninety nine for ninety nine. This one uh, slipped through. Uh, I wanted to see it, and then just never got around to it. And I probably shouldn't be blaming my friend uh, who chose. Uh, who I went with to see the straight story, and he called an audible and was like, let's go watch End of Days instead. And clearly I was a pushover, and I'm like, all right, sure, we'll do that. And still never got around to straight story on video, but I'm looking forward to it for uh, 99 from 99. All right, yeah, this is uh, this is one that took me a long time to finally to finally see. It was one of the last uh, David Lynch movies on my list uh, to check off. Uh, and so this will be a rewatch for me. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99.